Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. What was the first brand you remember making an impact on Young Jack? I grew up overseas. I had a, a very strange sort of beginning. Uh, my dad worked for the, for the UN. When I was in Pakistan, we would go to the movies and there was an advertisement for a brand called Polka Ice Cream. Polka ice cream, polka ice cream, polka ice cream, polka ice cream. Really snappy stuff. Which well done. I'm, I'm pretty sure is a complete ripoff of "You Are My Sunshine," <laughs> but but it stuck in my head for you know many years. Taught me sort of the va- the, the value of a, a jingle. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter and Gamble where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today in the CMO podcast is Jack Reynolds, the chief marketing officer of Free People, the bohemian apparel and lifestyle retail company founded in 1984 in Philadelphia. Free People is part of the Urban Outfitters Group and is in high growth mode right now. Comparable retail sales for Free People in the most recently reported quarter were up a whopping 77% versus a year ago. My guest Jack is a digital marketing and e-commerce pioneer. Way back in 1999, he was managing online and direct programs for the Bertelsmann Media Group, or BMG. From there, he went up the ladder at Bertelsmann for 13 years before running e-commerce platforms for Clinique, fashion brand Eli Tahari, and then Free People. Jack has been with Free People for five years and was promoted to CMO in April 2021. This is my conversation with Jack Reynolds. Jack, welcome to the CMO podcast. Right up front, you and I, I'm not sure you're aware of this, you and I went to rival colleges. Is that right? You went to Dickinson, I went to Franklin and Marshall, and we were both liberal arts majors. I was in the theater a lot. I was in a lot of English classes, history. So I'd like to ask you, how in the world, after a liberal arts degree, and I think you studied English and philosophy, how did you end up with a long and interesting career in marketing? And a lot of it very technology-focused. Yeah, I I, I ask that question of myself (laughs) more frequently than you could imagine. I remember going into school and and talking to my dad and saying, you know, he was always fond of saying, what's your five-year plan? Um, Still is to this day. And, you know, I said, dad, I really don't know. I'm going into college. Like, this is a liberal arts school. And I I really don't know where to focus, but I'm going to sort of go in eyes wide open. And his suggestion to me was, was, if you have any doubt, go with an English major. 
um, because at some point you're you're going to need to articulate a thought. Um, so I you know I, I saw the the sense in that, and then my freshman year I was assigned sort of a, a guidance you know not a guidance counselor for just for, to sort of acclimate yourself through through school, and he was a philosophy professor named Cyril Dwiggins. And Great name. I, I couldn't find a better name for a philosophy professor. So Cyril Dwiggins was this great sort of bearded, wise, you know, sage of a man. And just in our everyday sort of interactions, just thinking about sort of what we wanted to, to, to where I wanted to sort of take my experience at Dickinson, um, I was folded into a, you know, entry level philosophy class with, with him and started to think, well, if I'm going to articulate a thought, I might as well have a thought to articulate. And maybe that's what sort of drew me, drew me into the philosophy world. Um, and I loved it. I loved the balance of those two things. Why Dickinson when you were an 18 year old kid? I wanted to go to uh, Vanderbilt. I don't know why I had that in my head. I somehow I wanted to sort of head South a little bit and uh, I didn't get in. <laughs> and my brother who's two years older and I think brilliant, went to Dickinson and was still there. And I got the call just walking down the sort of breezeway of my high school saying, hey, you got into Dickinson. And I remember being like, I, I did? <laughs> just sort of puzzled because that's where Jim went. And, uh, and I said, why not? Like, like I, I came from a really small high school and, and Dickinson was fairly small in size. And, and knowing that I had family there just felt like, like a little bit of an advantage. Um, so I did it. Yeah, it worked out all right. I have a question for you that I I could ask a lot, and that is, how did the liberal arts degree help you as a manager, then leader, as I went through my career? And I have a little bit of a canned answer to that, so I should probably look at it again. But how do you answer that question? I mean, philosophy taught me to sort of question everything. And, and not in, in an irritating way, but in a, in a thoughtful way to look at things um, from a lot of different perspectives and, and to, to step outside of what is seemingly obvious and straightforward. Um, you know, I, I think I studied the skeptics, you know, and, and Descartes, and I, I think therefore I am. And, and mm -hmm. um, standing there and, and just realizing that questioning everything wasn't good enough. And then with, with English and then art and music and just sort of being surrounded by different perspectives um, just gave me an appreciation for, for looking at all sides to get to what I thought was a better answer. Um, and so when I think of it in terms of the challenges of business, um, sometimes that straightforward path and, and whether it's, you know, this is what the data says, this is exactly what we should be doing. Um, there's a benefit to standing outside and saying, well, what are the other perspectives that we should be considering? I want to talk about your career path, which uh, I think is pretty remarkable. You were an early leader in online marketing, working 13 years at Bertelsmann, then Clinique for three years, then Ellie Tahari for two, and now Free People for five. So not many have had your view of the evolution of digital marketing and e-commerce over the last 20, 22 years or so. So what is your advice to other CMOs who are wrestling with digital transformation, you know, business model changing, moving their marketing organization to be more customer centric, more digitally savvy, you know, all that stuff. So 
you've been through all of that. You've seen it from both sides. What is your advice to those who are really trying to move their organization to be um, more forward-looking? I would say there's nothing wrong with being forward-looking and, and embracing digital, but understand that that's the, that's the norm. Um, back then at the turn of the century, which makes me feel like mm-hmm. I'm Edison or somebody, you know, uh, but it wasn't that long ago. It was what, inside of 25 years. Um, but back then it was this burgeoning new thing that you really needed to try out. And I'm not discounting, you know, where, where it's going with, with VR and AI, et cetera. But, um, but I think I wouldn't discount some of the tried and true components of it, which feels like I'm running sort of the opposite direction. I think that just as a quick example, when I'd first gotten to um, to free people, there was a there was a heavy push to 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 shut down the catalog business. And I remember standing there and saying, well, I'm a digital guy and, and I would prefer the dollars to go to digital where I know it will work. But the marketer in me says, don't remove a channel unless you've really exhausted it or 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 determined that it's of no value. And we sort of ran into the burning building a little bit there and, uh, and embraced it and said, well, what's, what's the best we can do out of this? And, and can we find different ways to segment, to target, um, to position some of the merchandising within it um, such that now the, the catalog business is one of the most profitable um, in, in, in terms of incremental revenue um, that was completely resurrected. So I would say embrace the new, but, but don't, don't sort of cash all in there. What is it about the catalog that's made it more resonant? What did you do? We partnered with a with a company that that I, I really put the challenge to them. I said, "Look, this thing is is on the bubble, um, and and I don't want to get rid of something that that might actually have some differentiation to it." Knowing the digital noise, I mean, we just obviously are clobbered with with constant you know uh, constant advertising, and really started to say, "All right, let's let's take a look at our customer file." Let's really make sure that we're mailing this to the right people. Um, and I think that we discovered that we were biasing things just to, to new customers, uh, sorry, to, to people who had ever made a purchase and not to the new customers when they were most interested and engaged with the brand. And let's, you know, we said, let's start mailing them. And then we started to build profiles off digital buyers and feed that into the mechanism and use that as a, as a lookalike, act-alike prospecting campaign um, and, and just started to see incremental flow in. Mm-hmm. Now, that career path I just ran through, uh, what of those experiences, and you were, you were at Bertelsmann for quite a long time, which of those for you was most developmental as you were maturing as a leader, and we're still maturing as leaders, but sort of in that, in that arc of your career, which was kind of that experience that was very influential in who you are? I would say it's tough because they've all obviously contributed their 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 portion. Um, but if I look at Bertelsmann, you know, I, I never wanted to be a marketer. This was not my ambition. Um, I, I came out of school, you know, this sort of big thinker, <laughs> and and I had a, a what I thought was a good year for music, and I wanted to be an A and R man. I wanted to discover bands, and that just it wasn't something you had on a, on a degree. And I remember I had this opportunity either as a six-month guaranteed internship at, at BMG or a per diem at Columbia Records answering phones. 
And I said, well, the, the appeal of the story of like, oh, I started at the desk answering phones and now I became VP of marketing was, was great, but I needed the money. So I sort of went to the, to the Bertelsmann approach. And I started in a CD room labeling CDs with these little, you know, bin numbers, they were called. And, you know, you sort of adhere them the thing. And that was my beginning of the career. But I, I worked hard and sort of shared my passion and knowledge of music and ultimately became a merchandiser there. And I was very comfortable in that. I thought that was just the best. I was in my 20s living in New York, going to concerts, and then I would pick music for these catalogs and, and the, the site that was the site was fairly new. And I just felt like the world was my oyster. And then I thought about it in my dad's sort of five-year framing of it. And I said, is that something I'm going to do for the rest of my life? Am I just going to be a music merchandiser? And I remember talking to my boss at the time and saying, why don't we just run this whole operation? You know, to hell with the marketers. What do they know? We know the music and we're merchandising this stuff. Let's just take the whole thing over. And marched into the, the, the head of marketing there with this proposal. And I was told an unambiguous no. <laughs> and I remember sort of reeling from that. And, and she said, we're a marketing company. And the upside of that sort of attempted coup was, was it, it piqued the interest of the VP of marketing there who had said, all right, smart ass, <laughs> you want to you wanna, you know, step into my world, go ahead and do it. And he gave me a shot. And that, that turned everything for me. Um, because it was incredibly humbling because I went from a very senior person in the, in the org who really knew his job through and through to a student, honestly. And, and I was swimming you know, a little bit over my head and there were no attaboys and no pep talks and you know, weekends at the house to, to mentor me. Like it was, you want this? Count on yourself and, and get it done. And I knew enough and I knew I was sort of ambitious and, and tenacious enough to to bet on myself. And I got through it and, and, I, and I, I put myself to the test and eventually ended up being the VP of marketing. What was your favorite job at Bertelsmann in that time, that 13 years? So many to pick. Like it, I, I did so many different things there. I mean, obviously picking music was, was the greatest. You just had the freedom to, to hear new records and, and have little write-ups and features on them. I think moving... I made a decision after, so we, we, had, we had acquired the Columbia House uh, DVD club as well. And then we had acquired Bookspan. The Doubleday Book Club was also part of that. And I made the decision then to just switch out of music entirely. And I said, Neil, if I'm going to be a marketer, I'm, it's not just going to be in the lanes of my passions or preferences necessarily. Let's see if I can apply this to, to something else. And that gave me a great deal of, of satisfaction. It's that same level of nerves that you sort of walk into when you're just like, can I do this? Um, and, and you sort of need to want it more than, you, more than you fear it. And that was extremely satisfying to really look at, at those, you know, I think it was like 12 different book clubs that we had at the time, something that was really out of my field of interest necessarily, and organize a group and build a business around that. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, we're getting back to the great brands of the world now are building communities yeah. and talking to the communities, learning from the communities, letting them help shape the brand. And I think some of these direct-to-consumer companies, I worked for Time Life Books right out of college, 
And that was a direct-to-consumer company that was trying to figure out what people were curious about and how do you make books to help them do learn about that or do something they want to do. Yeah. It's funny. I, I worked at a, a Warner, like my very first sort of internship out of school was a place called Music Sound Exchange. That was a, a Time Warner owned thing. And, and you could, you could buy anything from, from, you know, a VHS about the Serengeti migration, or you could buy a jukebox or a, or like a kiss bottle opener. It was just this strange sort of Amazon. <laughs> yeah. Back then for sure. Yeah. So who have been your most significant mentors along this path? I know you're talking about your dad and the five-year plan, but who, who else has been significant for you in this career path? The guy, the, the marketing guy, the VP, Patrick Adams was his name. This is the guy that gave you a shot. He gave me the shot. Yeah. yeah. And he was incredibly smart and, and knew how to get the most out of his team, but I wouldn't call it a mentorship. <laughs> you know, this, this was more grappling than, than, than grooming. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm, I think it was, mm-hmm. um, and at the time I struggled with it, but at the end of it, I really appreciated it because there was, there were no free rides that he gave me. Um, he really said, if you want this, I'm going to give you the chance. And then you have to make the most out of that. Um, and I think that was to this day, I don't think I would be where I am had it not been for that opportunity and for the, the tough love seems like a strange way to put it, but, um, but for him to say, learn to count on yourself and bet on yourself each time that gave me a great deal of confidence to step into other things. And good for him to give a little bit of a wise guy a shot. Yeah. Yeah, he could have easily just shut it down, and he said, yeah. said "Back in your merchandising box, you know, and, and good luck with your career." <laughs> but I think he yeah. saw. I think he. I think he appreciated that I had at least taken a shot and and tried to make it go my way. Um, and I think he was testing me just to make sure that that I was willing to to put myself out there. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in, and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. Now let's talk about free people and start with what you're learning about the consumer right now. Your business looks like it's kind of on fire. So what consumer insights and trends are you reading, you know, from your product mix and your marketing efforts that are resonating? I think the standout one right now is, is in our activewear line. Um, not a real surprise there. I, I think that what's different about it from my perspective is that I, I don't just credit COVID to that. Um, we had set out probably three years ago at this point to really change that from just a category to, to a brand. And it literally just said, FP movement in the, in the, in the NAF bar on the site. And he said, well, if we're going to get people to understand this, we're going to have to call it what they call it. So changing that to active wear and saying, well, once you drive people into the area, 
then you can start to educate them about the brand. And from there, we worked on the product. We, we were certainly biased much more toward the, the sort of street, you know, athleisure is overused, but in, in that sort of vein. And we, and we knew that we wanted to compete in, in the performance side. And we didn't want to overreach on our, on our marketing because we didn't want to go out and say that we can go toe-to-toe with, with Nike, um, for example. But um, while we were catching up on the product, we were starting to seed much more of the brand story out there. Through influencers, ambassadors, we did a lot of community work there. And by the time COVID hit, all that legwork paid off because when other brands were scrambling to get their product in the hands of influencers, who could shoot things at home and, and, and post, they had our product, they were familiar with our brand. Um, and I think that gave us a, a huge advantage to really ride the, the crest that came out of COVID. Hey, I, I want you to, your activewear line looks like it's been a big hit and we've just talked about it. How did you, it's a cluttered category and there's lots of great brands in this space and you're certainly not the first. So how did you enter and do it your way, do it the free people way, and make this a hit. We were patient. You know, we, we, we didn't just want to throw a bunch of money and marketing dollars at something that we knew we, we couldn't defend or, or own. And we wanted to make sure that if we were going to be competitors in here and, and really own a piece of this category, we had to make sure the product was there. We had to make sure that the differentiation was there. Um, because a legging is a legging, but free people's perspective, because it's this great quirky brand that just, it, it doesn't do the ordinary. And that's one of the things I love most about it is that just because this is the trend, it doesn't mean that that's what we're going to follow, whether that's a style trend or a business trend. And for us, we wanted to make sure that, that having the confidence that we had that the product was, was right understanding what our story is. And, and, and for me, that was where the brand work really came in. Um, one of the things I genuinely love most about that brand is we don't have a creative, creative agency. So this is purely off the passion and talent and hard work of the people in that brand. And so when people talk about the brand is the people, uh, this, is, this is very true here. This is not something we've shopped out to 360i or, or some other agency and said, give us your best. And so we struggled with, we said, All right, well, who are we and, and, and what's our just do it sort of call to action and came up with uh, fitness, wellness, happiness. And we said, All right, this is a way to really summarize this brand and, and, and the, the feeling that it has. And obviously fitness is the most straightforward with, with the activity of, of you know, physical fitness. Um, Wellness was the bit of the softer side balance with with some of the the health and mindfulness, which is a, a key pillar within that. And happiness, of course, is the the ultimate goal of that that we really wanted to bring forward and make sure that people understood the the joy of putting in hard work and and living a healthy lifestyle. So once we had those pieces in place, we had the product, we had sort of our angle. Um, we went through just various distribution arms, and and we made sure that we were capitalizing on paid search, made sure that we were going after some of the key terms that we wanted to be, be known for and started to seed out product. As I said, to, to key influencers, we built out really a big part of it is the community side of it and making sure that 
in some of our stores where we were carrying movement that we were running local events. And as we sort of grew further and further and larger and larger, we started to have those be national events um, and then global campaigns. You've been at Free People for five years and you were in your first six months as CMO, I think maybe even the first four months. So what's changed? What's been the biggest change for you since being appointed CMO? The interesting thing about, I think, the, the arc of Free People and where I sit now is that this wasn't something that, that I absorbed, much, much like much, many of the things in my career, this was earned. And I think walking into Free People five years ago, the marketing department was seriously under leveraged, um, really underutilized. It, it really, it literally sat behind a, a curtain sort of room. And these were the people that made things go up on the internet. And obviously the company had been tremendously successful, um, relying heavily on creative and, and merchandising. But I really wanted to make sure that we built up that partnership for marketing. And, and to do that took a while um, to earn that, that trust that we weren't there to just sell for any means, of, you know, for just, just for the sake of selling. Um, and really building from the foundation of analytics to media mix uh, and just sort of getting the money right and then expanding it to really the brand and bigger declarations of, of who the brand is. So now at C as CMO, we were able to pull together things that were fractioned in the past. So the brand marketing team at one point reported to creative. We were able to consolidate that under marketing. Uh, paid social, organic social, these were all elements that were dispersed across the organization. And it's not that marketing needs to own everything, but it really was saying, hey, we're, we're gatekeepers of certain things. And, and to have this be successful, um, to see the rise of marketing and, and, and to, to, to get a seat at the table was really, really important. And so now as CMO, I feel like I'm helping maintain that while I'm also orchestrating and, and navigating all the, the, the flood of new opinions and, yeah. uh, and thoughts and ideas that are coming through. So how many direct reports do you have, Jack? I have six direct reports. And then the, the full team is probably 40 or 45 at this point. And how are you, you mentioned, you said you brought a lot of things together. How are you structured within marketing to make sure that experience for your customers is delightful, seamless, you know, always of the brand? So how do you do that within free people? We take it in the same way that, way that we sort of approach any strategy. So the, the org is set up in that same sort of way. So we'll start with, with data and analytics. Um, and I would say we're data-led, but, but it's not a sledgehammer. It's not like we just walk in there and say, this is what we need to do. So we'll, uh, that's the arm that just says, okay, here, here are the things that we understand about who our customer is or who, who we'd like her to be. Um, or in terms of a growth category, here's how many customers we need to actually hit the number that we need to hit. And then we have the e-commerce team um, that is really the nuts and bolts of, of SEO, SEM, as well as paid social sits in that. Um, and then we have a brand team that really focuses on PR and media, affiliates, and experiential. And then we have sort of our secret weapon, which is, a, which is internal campaign ideation team. 
And, and that's where we start to really say, now that we know who we want to say it to, and we know, we know where we want to say it, what is it we have to say? And, and between those groups, that's how we start to, to, to get the message out. Where do you spend most of your time, Jack? Recently, it's been on the campaign ideation side. It's really starting to pull together and say, Let, let's have something to say. Let's have something that's really thoughtful and, and pushes the brand a little bit. It's one thing to just say, here's the product and let's go out. This is the pile of things we have to sell. Um, it's another thing to really be thoughtful and make sure that you have that message right and really making sure that it's not just taking the larger message and consolidating into a smaller space. It's really saying, you know, your, your customer is every, we talk about being customer centric. She's not centric to us, if that's a phrase. <laughs> so making sure that we know where she is and, and that we have something to say when we're out there, when, you know, where, where she's viewing and listening. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. You said that marketing in the last five years, I think you said this, maybe I'm paraphrasing, it's become more important to the company, basically. Is there one or two lessons from that for others about how you elevated marketing's impact and importance for free people over the last five years? I would say to patience again. I, I think if I'd walked in there and just thrown around my credentials, I, I would have lasted a month and a half, I think. Um, I remember meeting with somebody I'd interviewed with, uh, one of the senior executives there who'd sort of checked in with me after the first couple of months. And he said, how's it going, Jack? And I said, I've never been, you know, responsible for something I had so little control over. <laughs> and he sort of chuckled and he said, yeah, I, I think I understand what you're saying. And I, you know, I had P&L oversight, but I, you know, I didn't own, you know, Email was a plug-in and homepage was a plug-in and things were sort of all over the place. Um, and had I just sort of screamed and kicked and, and, and fought my way around it, it wouldn't, have, it wouldn't have gotten anywhere. So building that consensus, building that trust takes a while, but once you have it, you never, you, you never let it go. And tell me about your relationship with your CEO. I mean, that's such a critical one. What sorts of things do you talk about with your CEO? What brings you together? Uh, what, you know, what are the rituals or rhythms you have? It's interesting. She, uh, Sheila Harrington, um, she started in, in buying, I think was her, was her main background in merchandise. And she knows this business through and through. It's just, it's incredibly impressive to see and experience her, her knowledge of this brand and, and the product. She would say, I think that she learned everything about marketing from me, which I think gives me way more credit than I deserve and, and her far too little. So I think early on, we had to figure out, you know, and sort of find our, our sea legs together. And, and, and I had to make sure that she understood that I wasn't here to ruin the brand that I was here to help elevate it to the best I, I could and, and modernize it to, to, 
to the extent that I could. And I was there to really understand from her how to protect the brand and how to make sure that we, like I said, we, we won't always do the common thing or the ordinary thing. Um, she would say to me, you know, Jack, I'm fine having a, a, an influencer dinner, but anybody can have an influencer dinner. And what is it that makes that a free people influencer dinner from the minute they arrive? And I love that challenge. I, I love bringing that back to the team and, and, and wrestling with that to say, well, you know, it, is it just the way it's lit or where it's located? Or is it a little bit of everything? And, and when people enter, they say, that's for sure a free people moment. And, and that's what we strive for. So your brand has moved into a pretty wide range of categories. And we talked about, you know, athletic wear, active wear. How do you decide that? How do you decide which categories, when, and where? I imagine that's something that you talk about a lot as a leadership team. And, but it's, it's tricky. You know, you don't want to overextend. You want to be in the categories where you have a point of difference, a point of view, and in categories that are growing or could grow. So tell us how you make those decisions. It starts with, I mean, it has a reputation for being a bohemian brand. I learned very quickly that it's much more than that. Not that we pivot away from any of that, but um, that it really caters to to the modern woman. And, and you know, she's at once, you know, active or elegant or casual. And, and the brand has something for, for any piece of that. And I think that when we sit down and say, all right, where do we really want to lean in? There are the key components that we know are sort of tried and true for the brand. Uh, denim dresses. Um, and then we start to look at what are the other supporting businesses from intimates or shoes, um, that activewear for sure, that, that we think we, we have a good positioning and, and, a, and a good opportunity to, to have differentiation and, and sort of distort, if you will. Um, from there, we really start to, again, go back to, to data and say, well, let's set a goal for ourselves and say, you know, here's, here's the demand goal that we want to hit and start to break down by customers and say, well, who do we need to either migrate into that from the exi- existing active file? And more importantly, how do we acquire new ones to, to come in there and sustain that? And from that, we start to build budgets and strategies. And then the fun branding part begins. And it just says, okay, well, what do we want to say when we talk about free people shoes? And then who do we want to say it to and where do we want to say that? And let's not just have this be you know, a, a quick pop in, in, in the season or the month that we think it's going to really stand out. Um, one of the things that I've always stressed with the team is that we strive for ruthless consistency and that's across the funnel. You know, that's, it's really saying be there, be there at all times, <laughs> as long as there's budget for it um, and have something to say. And so I think we've been able to say whether that's a seasonal approach or a categorical approach, um, let's, let's be ruthlessly consistent and make sure that she's hearing from free people throughout the year. What, what category do you feel like you've gone into, which you really nailed and it's been wonderful, good for the brand, good for the business and where have you had a slip up and what did you learn, learn from that? FP movement for sure. Yep. yep. Just, it's just, it, it's a brand that has now the potential to exceed free people. Um, it's got freestanding stores. It, it really, to see it grow from a 
you know, maybe a sub 3% to, to double digits is just incredible. Um, and so, so that's, that's a tremendous amount of pride. Um, in the struggle, I think, I would say maybe Intimates is a place that, that we're really trying to look inward and, and, and say, we, we know that we can bring in great customers through a bralet. Um, and, and it's a great starting point for free people to, to, for your, your purchase journey, but we want to be more than just an intimates brand. We really want to make sure that there's a, there's a, a story that we can tell with, with conviction and something that is still, it maintains the, the, the fun and the, and the, the sexiness, but really folds in the, the confidence and the maturity of that. Um, and I think that's a piece that, that I'm excited to, to really dive into. We talk about brand purpose in this podcast. Is that a, is that language you use at free people or or do you talk about something else? We talk about it in terms of some of the, the philanthropic work and the partnerships that we have there. Um, yeah, I, I would say more from from that perspective, and 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 we have certain pillars. You know, we we, we love uh, our pets, so we we do a fair amount. There's there's dogs all over the campus, which is just tremendous mm-hmm. and fun. Um, and so, you know, we we partnered with uh, with a couple of foundations there. Uh, the work that we do with Girls Inc. Um, is is tethered to 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 FP movement, um, and that's that's been a great uh, partnership there. And national parks, we do a fair amount of work with them as well. So just really trying to inspire and mentor, get people outside and, and embrace our love for four-legged friends. Mm-hmm. So we look at it, I think, I think more in, in that light as opposed to who is free people necessarily in, in her life. Yeah. Do you, how do you keep everybody, I mean, I want, to, I, want to, I want you to speak about the culture a bit more at free people. Uh, how do you keep everyone uh, with sort of a common vision of what the brand you're evolving and building, what sort of behaviors come out of that. Uh, so talk a little bit about, you know, you're not a tiny company and, and you're, you know, so how do you get everyone in their own way feeling this is their brand, but you're also expressing it in a very consistent way? I think that's where, yes, it's a large brand, but it's run like a very, small, humble, sort of almost mom and pop store. Uh, it's an odd thing um, where, honestly, even from, from, from the, the, the leadership with, with Dick Hain, I mean, he's there every morning and, and stays late and fully involved, in, as many of the, the Haines are. Um, so you feel like you're right at the root of it, as though we're just getting started. And, and I love that about it. I think, I think that's, that, that keeps us really tight to the to the orthodoxy of these brands. And then I would say the 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 fact that we don't farm anything out. Like we are relying on the product and the people. We we still do I think we're one of the few brands that actually does its 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 design work um in-house still. Um so everything is really almost this home industry that we have. And then when it comes to the marketing side, it's it's taking that hard work and that product and the, the studio shots and bringing it all together and saying, well, how do we how do we now get this broadcast out to to people so that they can discover it? 
What is it about the culture, Jack, that should never change? Is it this feeling like a mom and pop? Is it this, you know, building expertise inside? Is there something else? And then I'd also like to hear what about the culture should change? Good question. Yeah. Um, I'm torn because the upside that you get from this process, it, re- it requires a lot of work. There's a lot of buy-in, a lot of processes, a lot of opinions, a lot of thoughts. Um, I think what you get at the end is something that's really, really valuable. Um, and so to me, that I, I wouldn't want to let that slip. And again, selfishly as a marketer, I, I love the challenge that 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 brings, and 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 hearing all of the different ideas that come from the team and getting getting people involved so they have skin in the game there. Um, so I wouldn't change that. Uh, although pick pick a pick a day. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. I might answer it differently. Um, in terms of what should change, whoa! How do I get? How do I say this without getting getting me in trouble here? <laughs> it's a tough one. It's a tough one. I mean, to me. There's a there's a part of it that, that falls on the on the the technology side. For me, they built their own e-com engine. Um, that's an incredible undertaking. I think the benefits that it has, where we can really change the mechanics of that and, and control that ourselves, has its limitations in terms of the speed to market and the and the testing capabilities that we want to pursue. I think that's a place that that I would be keen on saying to be a modern marketing, you know, just a modern brand, um, you need a little bit more of that flexibility. Okay, I'm going to play the role of your dad here and you're the first few months into this job as CMO at Free People. So the five-year plan. Mm. So let's assume you stay here five years and you're CMO for five years. What do you hope that looks like five years from now? What, you, what do you hope your legacy will be? I hope that... FP Movement is a full-scale independent brand on par, if not larger than free people. I hope that the entire team stays there um, because they're tremendous and we, wouldn't, we won't be able to get there <laughs> without them. Um, I hope that we are a testing juggernaut um, in terms of what our platform can do. Um, the fastest, most flexible site we have, um, and that 10x the number of people are wearing free people. That's a pretty good remit. <laughs> Do you have that written down somewhere? I, I'm going to at least thank the goodness okay. of recording this. Yeah. <laughs> Send your dad and your team this podcast when we're finished. <laughs> oh, they're, 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 they're going to listen, I'm sure. Yeah, that was good. Hey, I want to move into the last section of this, which is that we call the creative breach, just to go a little bit more into you and your thoughts on business and life. Sure. And the first question I have for you is, what brands or companies inspire you now or people? I'm a music lover to this day. I'm fascinated by the fact that I used to, you know, obviously go to the, the record store and, and, and just devour an album, uh, really pour through a CD. And the fact that I have the entire collection of music ever recorded in my phone um, through Spotify, I think is extraordinary. Um, and I think I, I love I love how they they do their their annual recaps and, and you sort of really study the, the the music that you've been listening to and, and they found a way to bring that forward so it's not just this you know this this uh, 
repository of, of, of music. Um, and it's still a great source of discovery for me. So I love that. I'm a Peloton enthusiast. I, I love what they do. Um, I just think that I resisted it. I remember my wife being like, we, we should get a Peloton when we first moved to Philly. And I was like, no, we can do, you know, use YouTube videos or whatever. And so I, I was humbled by, by, by being wrong there. Um, and I love it. I, I just think that the, the content that they're putting out um, and, and, and their ownership of that brand is, is extraordinary. What do you love most about living in Philadelphia? The food. I was, a, I was an arrogant New Yorker. Uh, I remember coming into the team and, uh, and talking about the, you know, they kept talking about hoagies. And I was like, it's not a hoagie. It's a sub or a hero. And it can't compare to what I had back in New York. And they, they set out the challenge and they said, all right, well, we're, we're going to have a hoagie club and we're going we're gonna to do this. We positioned it around the, the, the Friday after every financial review. So once a month, we'd have a financial review. And we said, all right, that's pretty stressful, gathering all the intelligence for the you know, data for that. And so as a reward to ourselves, we would test out the, the hoagies of Philadelphia. And man, there's a ton of them. We've been doing this thing for five years. And each time it's a different place. Um, Hoagie Club now has its own Instagram handle. It's really taken off. So. But the food is great. What campaign or initiative in your career that you have been a part of are you most proud of? The buildup in free people of getting the marketing structure in place, putting the creative teams in the right spots and really focusing us. I, I always wanted to, to, to really try and find something that we could, that, that could encapsulate the brand. And, and again, sort of similar to what we had done with movement, what was the version of that for free people? And we wrestled with it for a good year and finally got some consensus with feel free. And we felt like that was something that could ride along with the logo when we wanted it to, it could sit in stores or as you exited the store, it could say it there. It was this, not only a a call to action, but a, 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 a really great representation of what it is to, to be a part of the free people brand and everything was in flight. We had pitched a large marketing initiative and that was to go live in March of last year. And with COVID, it just didn't feel right to go out with feel free. And so we, we shelved it. Um, but the amount of buy-in and creative thinking that went into that process to get to that outcome, um, I, I think was, was a proud moment. Sure. So Jack, who would you like to hear in the CMO podcast? I don't know if there's a, if, if they have a CMO, uh, I love what the, 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 the folks at Viore are doing. I don't know if they've been on, right. on there. That's a good idea. Um, um, but I just, I think for a, a friend of mine lives out in San Diego. So I was introduced to that brand. Uh, you know, he lives in Encinitas where I think they started. Um, and just to see them go from, I think they were all menswear to begin with. Um, it's funny really you like say that. Them. We, my whole family are very zealots and my daughter turned me on to the brand. We all wear it. I've been to their store now three or four times. Yeah. Uh, it is, I don't know. It's just comfortable. It's cool. It's great to hang around in. It's great to work out in. I like, yeah. the, I like the values of the company. It's very, we should get them on. 
Yeah. Yeah. Again, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure they have a CMO or certainly a CEO. Uh, could yeah. There. No, it's a great idea. It's a great idea. Thanks for that. Hey, last word to you. Anything for me before we sign off from this great discussion? What, what, what is the end game for you? Like to hear us just prattle on about our goals and glories. <laughs> like, is there, is there a, a, an end point here where you're going to say like, here are the, are you going to synthesize us into, into a book or, or, or somehow? It's a wonderful thought, Jack. And I'm glad you're pushing me on that. Uh, the answer to that is yes. There is, a, there is going to be a synthesis process of what has now been 26 months of CMO podcast, at least one a week. So the data we have is unbelievable. Uh, Deloitte is my partner in this, along with Gallery Media. So we are in active uh, brainstorming right now about what to do with this. I mean, we have been harvesting it you know, here and there, but how can we bring it all to life in a way that's helpful, useful, inspiring, and modern? So, I mean, we're doing lots of analysis of the language and the patterns and the trends and all that cool stuff. So uh, it's a good push, but we want to do something with this because it's just so good. It's so rich. It's been so much fun, but we, we have to not let it, uh, not, not let it not be analyzed. Let's put it that way. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I would, I, I would, if you I have ideas, that. send them along. I would be happy to do send that. Send it to your sure. creative team at FreePeople. Yeah, we'll, see, we'll, we'll, we'll put that in the, in the machine, okay. see, what, see what comes out. <laughs> we, honestly, we'd love that. All right, I will do it for sure. Jack, thank you. This has been so much fun. Thank you very much. The pleasure has been mine. It was really, really great to meet you and, and enjoy speaking with you today. That was my conversation with Jack Reynolds. Three takeaways from this one for your business and life. The first one is a lesson from Jack's dad. Always have a five-year plan. Make it explicit. It's probably going to change, but have the plan first. And then when it changes, you can make that choice. Second takeaway, have clear priorities for the legacy you want to leave in the time you're in a position you are in. The way Jack talked about the legacy he would like to leave at Free People when he leaves the CMO job someday is about the clearest legacy I have yet heard. Third takeaway, Listen to people, especially junior people, when they speak up. Notice, encourage it, recognize it, and just maybe act on it. Jack came forward when he was young in his career to the director of marketing at Bertelsmann. He had an idea. That person could have shoved him away, could have not listened to it. He listened to the idea and he invited Jack into marketing. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.